So let me start off this morning by asking you a question. How many of you want God to bless your life? If you want God to bless your life, raise your hand. Well, that's everybody except those who are already asleep or aren't paying attention. I mean, everybody, everybody would want God to bless their life, wouldn't they? And yet, I am convinced that many of us, and perhaps most of us, miss the blessings of God in our life. We miss many of the blessings that God wants to rain down on our life. Now, you may be asking, what is a blessing? And I think the best definition of that is found in Bruce Wilkerson's book, The Prayer of Jabez. Listen to what he says. He says, to bless in the biblical sense means to ask for or to impart supernatural favor. When we ask for God's blessings, we're not asking for more of what we could get ourselves. We're crying out for the wonderful, unlimited goodness that only God has the power to know about or give us. Now Solomon said it this way in Proverbs chapter 10. He said, the blessings of the Lord make a person rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. Now listen, financial favor is not the only way that God blesses us. God blesses us with, with health favor. God blesses us with relational favor. God blesses us in many ways. But when a blessing is from God, it's something that he wants to give and only he can give. There's a story of a, a Mr. Jones who died and went to heaven. And, and when he died, St. Peter met him at the pearly gates and was taking him on a tour around heaven. And Mr. Jones was awestruck as they walked on the streets of gold and as they saw the beautiful mansions glistening in the sunlight and as they heard the angelic choir singing the most amazing praise songs. But as they were taking this tour, Mr. Jones noticed this unusual building that seemed to stand out in heaven. It was a large warehouse with no windows and only one door. And Mr. Jones asked Peter, what's that building? And Peter said, you don't want to know what that building is. But before he even got finished, Mr. Jones went running to the building, opened the door, and looked inside. And there inside the building were stacks and stacks of shells from floor to ceiling, stacked with boxes, white boxes with names on them. And when St. Peter got to the door, Mr. Jones said, Is there a box with my name on it? And Peter said, Yes, but you don't. And before he could say anything else, Mr. Jones went running down, found the J-Owl, found the box with his name on it, opened it up, and when he did, his mouth dropped open and he sighed. And the reason he sighed is because inside the box were all the blessings that God wanted to pour out on Mr. Jones' life on earth, but because he never asked, he never received those blessings. Well, this morning we're going to look at the seventh king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, who was the son of Asa. Now let me remind you, Asa was a good king that, that did what was pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. The Bible says he sought God with all of his heart. 
And the Bible even tells us that he led the people of Judah to experience a religious reform, a revival. But somehow, someway, in the latter years of Asa's life, he quit seeking after God. And because of that, he made some alliances he shouldn't make, and he got rebuked by the prophet, and he ended up having problems for the rest of his life. When Asa died, his son Jehoshaphat became king. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king. He ruled for 25 years. We are told that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years. It's amazing that it says that. He didn't follow his father's latter years. He followed his early years. We are told he was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. And Jehoshaphat was a blessed man. The Bible tells us that all of the people of Judah brought him gifts and he became very wealthy and he was highly honored by the people. In the third year of his reign, he sent men out throughout the land of Judah with the word of God, the law of God, to teach the people the word of God. This is the first time this ever had happened under a king. This king was sending out these itinerant preachers, these itinerant evangelists to teach the people. And we are told that, that Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful. We are also told that, that the neighboring nations began to fear the Lord because of what was happening in Judah. But then something happened. I want you to listen to what it says beginning in 2 Chronicles 18. It says in verse 1, Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem and, and he made an alliance with Ahab of Israel by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. A few years later, he went to Samaria to visit Ahab who prepared a great banquet for him and his officials. They butchered great numbers of sheep, goats, and cattle for the feast. Then Ahab enticed Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover Ramoth-Gilead. Will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead, King Ahab of Israel, asked King Jehoshaphat of Judah? Jehoshaphat replied, Why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your troops. We will certainly join you in battle. Now, Jehoshaphat was a king who was deeply committed to the Lord, but he made an alliance with the most wicked king to ever rule in Israel. King Ahab was a Baal worshiper who married a Baal worshiper. He had hundreds upon hundreds of prophets to Baal and Asherah. He imprisoned and killed the true prophets of God. And here is Jehoshaphat, this godly king who made an alliance with this ungodly king, even to the point of saying, you and I are one. Now that's tied, isn't it? He said, my troops are your troops. He even allowed his son to marry Ahab's daughter. Now we're not going to get into that this week, but next week you're going to see all the problems that brought to Jehoshaphat and his family. 
Now one day Jehoshaphat was, was visiting Ahab and Ahab asked him to join his battle against King Aram. And so Jehoshaphat agreed and, and he made the alliance with this wicked king. He gave his son in marriage to this wicked king's daughter and now he was going into battle with this wicked king. Now understand, the Word of God makes it plain that God expects His people to be a separate people. We are told that we are to come out from the people of the world and, and be a separate people. The New Testament says the exact same thing. It says this in the New Testament, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? And then it goes on to say, separate yourself from them. You see, the Bible makes it clear that we need to be very careful as believers to guard against unholy alliances. There is a fine line between being friends with sinners and entering into deep relationships with unbelievers. Because of that alliance that King Jehoshaphat made with King Ahab, he almost lost his life, and he eventually lost his family. Now, I want you to listen up. There are some of you here this morning who have made some unholy alliances. It may be in the form of a dating relationship it may be in the form of a business partnership it may be in the form of some other alliance but I'm telling you if you have made an alliance with an unbeliever an ungodly person you are in dangerous waters and you better get out while you can because the cost is going to be more than you want to pay but here's what you need to understand Today's failures do not need to sideline sideline you. The truth is, failure today can lead to tomorrow's blessings. It all depends on how you respond to that failure. Did you hear me? Your failure doesn't have to sideline you. It depends on how you respond to that failure. You see, Jehoshaphat responded in the right way and it set him up for untold blessings. And so how? How can you and I experience the blessings of God as we respond to our failures, our setbacks in the right way? Let me give you four things we learned from Jehoshaphat. First, if you want to turn your failures into blessings, you've got to listen to godly rebuke. Let me say that again. You have to be willing to listen to godly rebuke. Listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 1. When King Jehoshaphat of Judah, of Judah arrived safely home in Jerusalem, he had gone to war with Ahab. Ahab had gotten killed. He had almost gotten killed, but he ended up making it home safe. Jehu, the son of Hananiah the seer, went out to meet him. Why should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord, he asked the king. Because of what you have done, the Lord is very angry with you. Even so, 
There is some good in you, for you have removed the Asherah poles throughout the land, and you have committed yourself to seeking God. Now, to understand, that's a strong rebuke, isn't it? He said, what have you done? You've loved the wicked. You've made alliances with those who hate the things of God. And because of it, God's very angry with you. So how did Jehoshaphat respond? It says, Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, but he went out among the people, traveling from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, encouraging the people to return to the Lord, the God of their ancestors. And so as soon as Jehoshaphat arrived back in Jerusalem, he was confronted by this prophet who rebuked him for making this alliance. Now remember, his father Ahab was rebuked. When he made an alliance with King Aram, to go against Israel. And when his father Asa was rebuked by the prophet, do you remember how he responded? He became angry. He imprisoned the prophet and put the prophet in stocks. And so this is what his father did when he was rebuked. But what did Jehoshaphat do? When Jehoshaphat was rebuked, he didn't get angry He turned his attention back to the Lord, encouraging the people to turn to the Lord. We are told that he traveled throughout Judah, encouraging the people to turn to the Lord and and serve the Lord with all their hearts. Then he appointed judges throughout the land to judge between the people. And we are told that he also told the judges to warn the people not to sin against the Lord. Now let me ask you a question. How do you respond when you're rebuked because of sin? How do you respond when you're rebuked because you rebelled against the Lord? How do you respond when you're rebuked because you're walking away from Him instead of walking toward Him? Most people in the church don't respond positively. You see, most of us today, we want to be encouraged. We love to hear messages that make us feel good, that cheer us on, that tell us that we're doing great. But the truth is, there are times that's not the message we need to deliver. There are times that we need to deliver a message of rebuke. The Apostle Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage. And then he said this. He said a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Hear. Listen, if you're a blind man and, and you're about to walk into busy traffic, you want someone to warn you, Amen. If you've got a handful of poisoned berries and you're about to put them in your mouth and eat them, you want someone to slap those berries out of your hand before they get into your mouth, don't you? You want someone in your life that cares for you enough to warn you and rebuke you when you're going the wrong way. We all need people like that in our life that will warn us when we're headed in the wrong direction and we need to be humble enough To accept it. By the way, that's why every single believer needs to be a part of a local church. 
There may be some of you here this morning who are consistent guests. And we're thankful for you. We're glad you're here. We're glad you feel comfortable. But the difference between a member and a guest is this. A member has responsibilities. A member is accountable. A guest has none. And some of us don't want any accountability in our life. We want the freedom to be able to just pick up and run if things don't go the way we want them to go. And yet God expects every one of us to be a part of a local church because that local church can protect us when we need protecting. So how do you respond to godly rebuke? Do you bow up with pride? Do you say, you can't tell me what to do? Or do you humbly acknowledge your sin, repent of it, and get back to serving God with all your heart? That's what Jehoshaphat did, didn't he? You listen to godly rebuke. Second, you seek God's help. Let's start back in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. It says, after this, the armies of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Eden is marching against you from from beyond the Dead Sea, they are already at Hazem Tamer. This was another name for Engedi. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. Jehoshaphat, in, in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord, he, he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. O our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. The Bible says sometime later, we don't know how much longer, this vast army attacked Judah and Jehoshaphat found out about it when they were only about 30 miles southeast of Jerusalem along the Dead Sea. The Bible tells us that Jehoshaphat was terrified and he begged God for guidance. He ordered everyone else to fast so all the people came to Jerusalem and they began to corporally pray, seek God, and fast. So let me ask you a question. What do you do? When you're facing insurmountable odds. What do you do when the deck is stacked against you? What do you do when you feel like all hope is lost? Do you give up? Many of us do. We throw in the towel. Do you get alone by yourself or with your closest advisors and map out a strategy? That would be my tendency. I would want to map out a strategy, how we're going to make good of this. Or perhaps you're one of those who would call in favors from your friends asking them for help. Well, Jehoshaphat didn't do any of those things. The Bible says the very first thing he did was to cry out to God. He prayed, he fasted, and he ordered everyone else to do the same. Listen very carefully. If you want God to show up in your life and show off his power, you have to 
seek him. It is true that there are many times that God just chooses to shower his blessings and to help us without our asking. But the Bible seems to indicate that God has chosen for the most part to work in our lives in response to our seeking him. And the way we do that is through prayer and fasting and getting into God's word. So let me ask you a question. How many of you need God to show up in your life this morning? Don't raise your hand. But how many of you need God to show up in your life? I mean, if you need God to show up and do something you can't do, you need to answer this question. How is your prayer life? Are you pleading before the throne of God? Have you spent any time in fasting? Jesus said some things happen only through prayer and fasting. Are you reading his word to find out if there is an answer in his word on what you need to do? Seek the Lord. Here's what I know. Most often, we have to come to a point of desperation before we seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat said in verse 13, we are powerless we don't know what to do. We are looking to you for help. But can I give you a warning? If you wait until you are in crisis mode to seek God, it may be too late. We need to seek him all the time so that when the crisis comes, he is on speed dial. Amen? I mean, that's what Jehoshaphat did. It wasn't like Jehoshaphat was living his life on his own and then when the crisis came, he said, okay, I've got to look up his number. Where is it? I know I put it somewhere. No, he was living in this intimate relationship with God. And so when the crisis came, he was ready to cry out to God. So you listen to godly rebuke. You seek God's help. And then third, you stand still and watch. Listen to what it says in chapter 20, verse 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives, and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, March out against them. You will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Now, I love this. All the men gathered with their babies, their children, and their wives. They were in Jerusalem, and they were praying, and they were fasting. When God spoke through one of the men. And God said through this man, don't be afraid. This isn't your battle. It's my battle. What you need to do is march out against them. But you won't even need to fight. You just stand still and watch the victory that I'm going to give you. And so God said this. He said, march out. Take your position, stand still, 
and watch the Lord's blessings. Now, this is important. Faith in God did not negate their need to march out. Faith in God did not negate their need to be ready. They had to be prepared. They had to take their positions. They had to do whatever the Lord said. But God said, I'm going to give you the victory. Here's what I know. You will never be able to watch God work unless you have the faith to march into battle. Amen? Let me say that again. You will never be able to have the faith to watch God work unless you are willing to march into battle. Standing still doesn't mean you don't do anything. It simply means God gives the victory. That's what faith is. Faith is knowing apart from God, there is no victory. Defeat is inevitable. Apart from God, salvation is impossible. If you want to see God work, have faith enough to march into the battleground. Be prepared to do whatever he tells you to do. And then watch him work on your behalf. So stand still and watch. Fourth, finally, praise God while you wait. Listen to what it says in chapter 20, verse 20 and following. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa on the way. Jehoshaphat stopped and said, listen to me, all, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be able to stand firm. Believe in the prophets and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord calls the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one of the enemy had escaped. King Jehoshaphat and his men went out to gather the plunder. They, they found vast amounts of equipment, clothing, and other valuables, more than they could carry. There was so much plunder that it took them three days just to collect it all. On the fourth day, they, they gathered in the Valley of Blessing, which got its name that day because the people praised and thanked the Lord there. It is still called the Valley of Blessing today so the bible says the next morning the army of judah began to march out to confront this invading army but on the way jehoshaphat decided that they needed to begin praising god so they appointed singers and worship leaders to sing and they began singing this song give thanks to the lord his faithful love endures forever and the bible says don't miss this at that very moment the moment they began singing praises to God, at that very moment, the Lord calls the invading armies to start fighting among themselves to the point that when the army of Judah arrived, all they found were dead bodies. Now, don't miss this. At the very moment they began singing, God began providing the victory. 
In the words of that famous theologian, Chance the Rapper, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. Amen? I mean, is that not what it's saying there? Years ago, my daughter Mary Beth was, was praying during our prayer time, and, and she started praying, Dear God, please give me a baby sister. And every single night at our prayer time, Mary would pray that prayer, Dear God, please give me a baby sister. Well, Sherry and I weren't ready to enter into a partnership with God to help provide that baby sister. And so she was praying. But then one night during her prayer time, she said, Dear God, thank you for my baby sister. And Sherry and I immediately, I know you're not supposed to do this, but Sherry and I immediately looked at each other as our daughter was praying, going, oh, no. <laughs> and she started praying that prayer, dear God, thank you for my baby sister. I don't know where she heard that. I don't know where she got it. But she started praying that prayer. And within several months, Sherry was pregnant. She didn't give Mary a baby sister. She gave Mary a baby brother but when Matthew was born this is what Mary Beth said she said I don't know why I ever asked for a sister I love him so much now to understand that's not a name it claim it theology because the Bible doesn't say that we can ask for anything we want if we're in a sinful state and get it the Bible never teaches us that. But there is something to, there is something to praying in faith, thanking God in advance, and seeing God work. The Bible says that when they got there, all they found were dead bodies. They went out to collect the plunder, all of the valuables that the soldiers, the army left behind. And it took them three days to collect all the valuables. They called that valley, because of that, the Valley of Blessing. And so my question for you this morning is this. Do you need God to intervene in your life? And give you a blessing. Remember a blessing is something that only God can give. And a blessing is something that God wants to give. Is there a blessing that you need in your life? Well if there is. The Bible seems to indicate that God wants to give it more than you want to receive it. So what do you need to do? Well, you need to accept godly truth when it's given to you. Even, listen, even when it comes in the form of rebuke. You need to seek God with all your heart, which includes, which includes not only prayer, it includes not only opening up God's word, but at times it's going to include fasting. 
You're going to need to stand still and watch. And that doesn't mean that you don't do anything. It means that you do what God tells you to do in faith, trusting Him to give you the victory because He is the only one who can. And you don't praise Him after the fact. You praise Him before, knowing that He is good. And he wants to give you good gifts more than you want to receive them. And so in just a moment, we're going to have our altar time. And if there are blessings that you need in your life, I want to challenge you. If you really need God to bless you in a way to come to this altar and pour out your heart to him, asking him for those blessings. But at the same time, let me encourage you to commit to do those four things that Jehoshaphat did. But before we have our altar time, the blessing that some of you may need is not a material blessing. It may not be a physical blessing. It may not be a relational blessing. It may be a spiritual blessing. You may need to be saved. You may not know what it is to have the Spirit of the living God living in you. And that's what happens when we're saved. God's Spirit comes to live in us, and He makes us new. He changes us. He transforms us from the inside out and and our desires are changed, our wants are changed, our outlook is changed and, and some things happen overnight, some things are a process, but oh, he changes us. And maybe you're here today and you're in bondage and you know it. You've never trusted Jesus. You've never humbled yourself to him and you need to do that this morning. It's the greatest blessing you can receive. So before we have our altar time, I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, you've never humbled yourself, you've never come to that point where you've acknowledged you need him in your life, then I want to encourage you right here, right now, to pray this prayer to him. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me of all my sins. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my self-sufficiency. Jesus, I know you love me. I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave defeating sin and death. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving my life Wherever you lead, I'll go. I'm yours. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for answering my prayer.